Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will arise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and if he were thrown into, into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life with two feet than to be thrown into hell. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses, if, it, if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Father, we come to your word today and we pray as we come that you would open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts that we would receive your word, that we might know the truth of what our master and our teacher Jesus is teaching today and that you might transform us as we have faith in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Some of of you have seen the advertisements. Perhaps you've even availed yourself of some of these uh, distance courses, the great courses. They have uh, teachers, uh, well-acclaimed expert professors from around the world uh, that can teach you in whatever subject you can take that. And there's also something called master class, uh, again, these are uh, generally people who are well-known individuals that you might be interested in receiving some sort of teaching or training from. And what we're going to find today is we're going to receive a master class from Jesus Christ as we see him teaching his uh, disciples here. So last week we looked at the fact that uh, with Christ in the school of faith, today it's going to be with Christ in the school of greatness. What does it mean to be great? What is greatness? Well, Jesus is going to teach you what great greatness is. We read here in 
Mark 9, 30 and 31, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. It's pointedly about Jesus' teaching. He has been in Galilee. Some of you, uh, many of you probably don't know the geography of uh, Israel, but it's in the north. He's in Galilee, and uh, Jerusalem is in the southern part of the country, and he has been hanging out in Galilee. He's moving to Capernaum, kind of his home base, and no longer is he interested in these large teaching campaigns with hundreds and thousands of people and these large healing campaigns with hundreds and thousands of people. He's now focused on what? He's focused on teaching his disciples, pointedly getting together in a house, uh, teaching them what he wants to teach them before he goes to the cross before he leaves. And so we find that Jesus teaches about greatness. The first thing he does is he models greatness to his disciples and to us. For he was teaching his disciples, this is verse 31, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, Jesus at this point is not connecting all the, dot, the dots for the disciples, but what he is saying is, as he st- stated before, he's stating again, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be handed over, uh, I'm going to be mistreated and eventually killed uh, on the cross, we find out in other passages, he predicts that, and then one day I will rise again from the dead. The disciples didn't even want to talk about it, didn't even want to think about it, um, They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But what Jesus was saying was, this is what I've come to do. I've come to sacrifice myself. I've come to serve you. The the Bible says of Jesus Christ that he, that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God existed from all eternity. Before the creation of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed together. The Bible clearly states that there are Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I was talking to a, a child this week who said, explain the Trinity to me. So I'll ask you to explain the Trinity to the child. It's, it's a mystery. There's, it's mysterious. But what we can say very clearly, the Bible teaches this, that the Father is God, the Son is God from all eternity, the Holy Spirit is God, three persons, one God. They existed in communion in fellowship, the, the big term, the inter-Trinitarian fellowship from all eternity. My point being this, the Son is great. There's none greater. And he came and he took on a human body, not giving up his deity. He took on a human body and a human soul. When, and that the human body and the human soul was united with God the Son. He did not give up his deity when he took on humanity, and his humanity was true humanity. It wasn't some sort of God-man mixture. And so we find this in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is great. There's no one greater. (laughs) You can't be greater than God. And Jesus was great. And yet, what did he do? He came here to be a servant. He came here to serve by doing what nobody else could do, by living a perfect life, And by going to the cross, by being mistreated, by being killed, why did he do that? He did that because he was serving you and me. The Bible said Christ died for sins. 
once for all, the righteous, that would be Jesus, and the, for the unrighteous, that would be you and me. So we are low. We are of low status on the basis of our sins. Sin is the great equalizer. We're all sinful and fall short of the glory of God, and Jesus is glorious. And so the great one, the great one modeled greatness by becoming lowly, by serving us. So we find that Jesus models greatness to us. Now, the disciples here, um, the disciples, you know, you would think that they would be kind of concerned about Jesus. You know, he's saying, I'm going to die. Um, and what do they do? They are so wrapped up in this idea of greatness, they think that Jesus is going to be this political, uh, nationalistic Messiah, and they're going to be part of his cabinet, so to speak. And so they're not so concerned about Jesus, they're concerned about their greatness. I mean, hey, we're part of Jesus' cabinet, but who's the greatest in his cabinet? And they were arguing, as a friend of mine uh, would say, they were cussing and discussing. They were debating with each other about who is the greatest Now, who determines who is great? Jesus, the master teacher in the master class, is going to say who the greatest is. And, you know, it's not bad to want to be great. The question is, what is greatness and how do we attain greatness? And so they're debating who's the greatest. And they kept and Jesus said, what were you discussing on the way? You know, parents, don't you know this routine? You know, you know full well what your kids are saying, what they're talking about. What is it that you're talking about? They get quiet. They don't want to admit what they're talking about. That's what the disciples, they clammed up. And so um, Jesus talked to them about what it is to be great. Definition of greatness is this, that greatness is achieved when one serves. When one serves those from the least to the greatest in terms of human standards. He said in Mark 9, 35, and he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And in particular, we'll find out we must be willing to serve those who are of the lowest status. You know, in the, in the days of the disciples, this idea of status and who's the greatest and who's the lowest was was part of everyday society. It didn't matter whether you were at a meal, if you were at a synagogue, if you're involved in other aspects of life, there was this pecking order and everybody was trying to determine where they were so that they would know how they were supposed to interact with the person who is higher than they were or lower than they were. Now we don't quite have the same thing today, but there is a pecking order, is there not? It doesn't matter whether you're uh, on the playground, it doesn't matter whether you're in the corporate boardroom, uh, some of you are in the military, there's quite literally a ranking system, right? And so there are people that are above you in rank, there are people that are below you in rank, and on the playground, and, uh, students, kids, you know, elementary students, high school students, middle school students, uh, who's the most popular in your class? Who's the most popular in your school? You can tell me, right? You know. Why is that? There are certain standards or certain ways or certain values in the community that we're in. If you're an adult, the same thing is true. What is it that you value? How do you rank people? 
Who is high in your estimation? You know, our society is fixated on celebrity. Maybe it's a celebrity. Maybe it's a political figure. Maybe, who knows? And for the point of applying this to your life, it almost doesn't matter uh, determining what it is in our society. The question is, what is it for you? What is it, who, who is it that you think is high in status and who do you think is low in status? Jesus says greatness is serving those who are low in status. You know, naturally, we don't have such a hard time of um, showing deference to and being excited about uh, meeting and uh, serving even those who are of high status, those who we respect, those who we esteem, but not so much with those who we find to be of low status. True greatness is achieved when one serves those who are least. You know, maybe you saw this in July uh, down in South Florida. There was a, uh, an account, it, it, uh, it went viral, of a, um, a, a county commission chairman uh, who was pulled over by a state trooper. Um, he was, uh, this was all recorded on the dash cam, state trooper's dash cam. And so he pulls, he pulls this county commission chairman over. He's driving his Ferrari uh, 92 miles an hour in a 70 mile an hour zone. And and the, the, uh, the trooper's very nice, and he says, you know, normally I give people a, a, a warning, but I see you've already received a warning. And so he began to talk about the ticket he was going to receive. And so the, the man said, well, you know, I run the county. And he, he said, you, you run the county? And he said, well, well, yes, I'm the county commission chairman. So he was saying there's a certain pecking order here, right? And so we have a pecking order in our own minds, and we have to, if we want to be great, serve those who are lesser on the pecking order than we are. True greatness is achieved when one welcomes and esteems those of lesser status. We see that in Mark 9, 36 and 37. And he took a child and he put it in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child, receives. Whoever welcomes, whoever esteems a child. You see, children in the day of Christ were not very highly esteemed. They were at the bottom of that pecking order. They had very low status. And children have a a relatively higher status in our society. Uh, We dote on our children but even, even so, I think if, you know, if some child came up to you as an adult and started ordering you around, you, who do you think you are, right? You, I'm of this status, you're of that status. Or you might really like your kindergartner's uh, finger painting, um, but, you know, you would say, well, it's not Monet, uh, it's not Renoir. Um, maybe they're budding Monets and Renoirs. But they're not there yet. They haven't achieved that status. And so Jesus takes this object lesson and he says to his disciples, there's a child in the house that they were meeting in. He sat, had the child sit, sit with him and he said, you need to welcome, you need to receive, you need to esteem this lowly child and those like this lowly child. The child was an image of those who are low in status. And so Jesus says not only that, but true greatness is achieved when you do these things for Christ's sake. 
9.37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Right? So it's not sort of, you know, your neighbor, you serve your neighbor, your neighbor serves you, you're kind of nice to each other, just because. No, you're serving, greatness is serving in Christ's name. It's making yourself low, is serving the one who is of low estate, who's of low rank, uh, who's low pecking order. And you do that, why? Not for just sort of some general rule, but you do it for the sake of Christ. Jesus says, when you do that, when you welcome those in my name, you're welcoming me. Why is that? Because our master teacher is telling us that these lowly ones are important and true greatness is serving them. So therefore, when you serve them in Christ's name, because of Christ, motivated by serving Christ, you are receiving not only them, you're esteeming not only them, you're esteeming me and receiving me and welcoming me. And by connection, my father sent me to the earth, and so you are also receiving the father. True greatness, greatness is achieved when we do what we do for the sake of Christ. Greatness is also received when we receive those of lower status that serve in Jesus' name. In other words, so there's a continuation of his logic. There are those that serve people in Jesus' name and serve the lowly in Jesus' name. And when you receive those who are lower than you, okay, when you receive them as they are receiving and helping and serving others, that also is greatness. Let me, maybe a little confusing, let's look at the text. Mark 9, 38 through 40. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will soon be able afterwards to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. Now, people uh, have criticized uh, the Apostle John here uh, for being such a meanie, uh, but I think there's a sense in which John is actually starting to get it. Jesus has said to him uh, that you should receive uh, this child in my name. Anyone who receives the child in my name receives me. And so John is picking up on this, and he's saying, uh, Master, teacher, uh, there was this man out there. He was not part of our group. He was not chosen by you directly. You know, we're in the inner circle, right? We're in the inner group. And he was outside, but he was, he was uh, casting out demons in your name. And you've just said, if you receive anyone in my name then that is part of what it means to be great. So this man was doing this. He wasn't part of us. He was less than us. He was lower than us. He was not of our status. You know, we're the inner circle. And so I discouraged him from doing this. We discouraged him. And we tried to stop him. And Jesus said, don't do it. Don't do it. If he's, if he's doing this great work in my name, then receive him. Because he is doing this work of service in my name, even if he's less than you. Now, how would that ever apply to us? Now, one word of caution. 
And we find this in the Bible. Just because somebody uses the terminology in Christ's name, it doesn't mean they actually know Christ. There were times we see in the book of Acts where it was used almost like an incantation by people that really didn't know and believe in Jesus. And there is certainly heresy in terms of who Jesus is and who Jesus was. I'm not talking about people that just use the terminology without knowing who Jesus really is, but people who know Jesus Christ, who don't happen to be maybe in our group. Um, as Presbyterians, um, we, we like having our theology buttoned up, don't we? And maybe there are some folks out there that really know Christ. They don't have their theology buttoned up quite as well. I'm not talking again about heresy. Maybe they don't have it all together. Maybe we might consider them to be a little lower than us in terms of their knowledge of Scripture. Right? But they're out there in the name of Christ, serving the needy, doing some great things. And Jesus says to John, and he would say to us, Greatness is receiving them when they do great things in the name of Jesus Christ, even if they happen to be lower than you in status. Greatness is also achieved when someone serves and welcomes you. When someone serves and welcomes you, For Christ's sake. So again, this is the focus on how is it that we're great when we do something for the name, uh, in the name of, or for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. He says here, for truly I say to you, verse 41, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Isn't that wonderful? He's saying that specifically to his disciples. He's saying to you disciples. If anyone does even something as small as giving you a cup of water because you belong to me, because you're my people, because you know that I've loved you and I've saved you and you have faith in me. If because of that, somebody gives you even a cup of water, that's an act of greatness and they won't lose their reward. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was out, I went out to lunch, asked somebody in our church to go out to lunch. We were at a restaurant. And um, they got there before I did, um, and said they were talking to the server. And um, so when I got there, sat down in the server, a girl maybe 20 years old uh, said to me, oh, well, uh, your friend here tells me that you're a pastor. Where are you a pastor? And I said, First Presbyterian Church in Panama City. She said, where is that? And I told her, and she said, oh, that's the church that really got heavily damaged. Yes, it was. It got heavily damaged. And I told her about what we've done so far, and we're making progress, and the Lord's preserved our church and you know we uh we've got plans to to rebuild it and and so she took our order and i can't honestly remember what it was was it a salad or hamburger and french fries and and she went off and and came back and we had our meal and at the end of the meal she did what you do as a server she gave us a little plastic tray with a credit card on it with a with a bill on it and i put my credit card on it she took it away a few minutes later she came back and she had a little plastic tray with the credit card but Nothing to sign. And I said, well, where's, where's the receipt? Where's the bill? I need to sign it. She said, well, every once in a while, I decide to treat uh, one of my customers uh, to a free meal. And she said, I'd like to do that for you today. And I said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. I said, nobody has ever done that for, for me before. No, no server. Have you ever had a server actually treat you for your meal? 
And, um, and so we were very touched. And, um, and she said, sometimes I like to close out my meal with people uh, by praying with them. Now, she had told me a little bit about her church. I asked her about her church, and she told me about that. She was very excited about it. And in fact, she was learning and growing and doing some things with it. And so I said, okay. I said, Could you, can you sit down now? Do you have time? She said, yes. So she sat down. She reached out her hand across the table. Okay. I held her hand. I held the hand of the other guy across the table. He held her hand. There we are in the restaurant holding hands. Um, so I, I went and prayed for her, uh, prayed for her, prayed for our church. And uh, that was it. Now, uh, she gave us a cup of cold water and she gave us a hamburger and she gave us french fries, right? Why did she do that? Because we belong to Christ. So you don't lose your reward if you give even a cup of, co- cup of water to drink because somebody belongs to Christ. That is part of what greatness is. So with this background, then we find here, this is all put positively, then negatively there is a warning. And the warning is this, that there are dire consequences for not encouraging people in their faith, not welcoming people, not receiving people who are lower than you uh, in Christ, who who may not be of the status that you are or that you think you are. Uh, If you don't welcome them, if you don't serve them, instead you discourage them and cause them to sin, then there are dire consequences. So we read here, in Mark chapter 9, 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, this word sin, believe in me to sin, could be translated stumble. It's almost certainly talking about sin, but it gives you this idea of Jesus has just talked about people who belong to him. He's just talked about these children, these um, those of, of low status. Now, who is, who is this directly applying to? It's actually directly applying to, to John and the disciples. What have they done? They've discouraged this one who was casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. They tried to stop him. And so Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful. It is a great sin to cause one of these little ones, one of these humble ones, one of these ones of low status who believes in me, if you cause them to sin, there will literally be hell to pay. And so he says, it would be better for you to be, have a great millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. Now, why is that? Why is he using that imagery? Because it would be better to die than to, than to do this. And, and cause one of these humble ones, one of these of low status to sin, to stumble in their faith. What are the consequences? Well, Mark nine forty three through 48 gives us uh, how important this is. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That last verse is 
actually a quote by Jesus from the last verse in the book of Isaiah. And it's an image of hell. It's an image of eternal torment in hell. Now, Jesus isn't calling for the, the mutilation of the body. Okay? We, we have much the same terminology. We'd say, I'd give my right hand for fill in the blank. You know, we use hyperbole. We probably really wouldn't give our right hand for whatever that is. But Jesus is saying the, that which is most valuable to you, your hand, your foot, your eye, that, that this is such a significant issue, this is such a deep problem that you should be willing to give up even that which is most valuable to you to avoid causing those little ones, those of low rank, uh, to sin and to fall. That merits hell, that particular sin, as do all sins. So the master class takes an ominous turn, doesn't it? Now, before I return back to that, let's go to the next section, and he ends up with this. And he talks about true greatness. If you understand what true greatness is, it promotes peace in the Christian community. For everyone will be salted with fire, verse 49. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Be at peace with one another. Now, this verse shows us that everything that has come before it that I've talked about is talking about this. It's leading up to this. Remember the disciples cussing and discussing with each other? Not a whole lot of peace in the Christian community. And so when we demand our way, when we demand our rank, when we're unwilling to serve those who are of a lower status than we are, then it does not promote peace, it promotes division. But when we are willing to do that, if we want to be first, we must be last. and We must serve all. Mark 10, 45, we're going to hear this in just a, a couple of weeks. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, and 5, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so we come to this passage, and it's actually a very scary passage. I don't, want to just, I don't want to just breeze over this, right? It's a scary passage to say that our sin deserves hell. There's a couple ways you can sort of deal with this passage. One is you can pretend you're better than this. You can say, this really doesn't apply to me. It applies to me. It applies to you. There are times when we fail miserably. We fail to honor those, to welcome those, to receive those that are of low rank. Again, who is it that would qualify of low rank? How welcoming, how honoring, how esteeming, how much are you serving them? Again, it's easy to serve those who are of higher rank. Maybe we don't do that for Jesus' name, but it's easy to do. And so we fail miserably. And so we have a problem, and that problem is we deserve hell. We deserve hell on the basis of our lack of greatness and living up to greatness. 
But we go back to the very beginning. What is our hope? Our hope is in the great one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came here to serve, right? He came here to serve the great one who lived the perfect life, who perfectly embodied what it means to lower yourself and to serve the lowest. Jesus Christ did that. And you're the lowest. I'm the lowest. We've failed miserably, and this is an example of where we fail miserably. We need a Savior. We are in desperate need of a Savior to save us from our sins, from this sin and every sin we commit. And so we have a Savior. We have one who did this. And if we would just come to him and receive him by faith, then we will know what it means to have Jesus serve us, to serve you, to serve me, as we trust in his life, as we trust in his death, that Jesus Christ came to take away our sins, to give us forgiveness of sins, to to give us the status of what? Of belonging to him. In the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter, this was after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and Peter preached to the gathered crowd there in Jerusalem. And he said this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Okay, I don't know what sins you have committed in your life and my life, but I, have, I did not literally uh, engage in seeing Jesus Christ physically get killed. They did. His audience did that. And so he goes through his sermon and he preaches, and this is the conclusion of the sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now they were, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to, the, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We killed the Savior. We killed the Messiah. What should we do in response? What did Peter say? You're hopeless. There's no hope. Your sin is too great. He said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come to Jesus in faith. Receive the gift of eternal life. Receive the gift of of being ones that belong to Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want to say to you today, if you're here and you're saying, I just don't know. I don't know if I have any hope. I'm the least worthy to receive this forgiveness of sins from Jesus Christ. I'm the least worthy to be accepted by him. Well, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ came to serve those who are exactly like you. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have sent Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we are so grateful that though you existed from eternity as God, that you took on humanity, that you did what we could not do, that you died, that you suffered, 
to pay the penalty that I deserve, that we deserve. We're thankful that you would serve lowly people like us. And so, Father, I pray that for those of us who already know you, who believe you, who trust in you through Jesus Christ, that you would encourage us in this, that you would encourage us as we fail and cause us more more and more to embody this greatness. And I pray also, Father, for those who have never known the great Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would, by your Holy Spirit's power, work in their hearts, work in their minds, that they might even now come to faith, come to believe that Jesus has come here to serve them in his life and death, and that they might receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of belonging to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. And let us continue to worship our great Savior in preparation for the Lord's Supper as we sing Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. The first uh, verse, let's stand and sing together.